Hello and welcome to Game Sense, a Rookie Me Central podcast that focuses on all the comings and goings on women's football across the country. I'm your host, Peter Williams, and in today's episode, we'll analyse all the key talking points of a huge round one, including chatting to a trio of debutantes in Imogen Evans, Jazz Fleming and Riley Wilcox, then try to predict how round two will go down. But first, let me introduce women's football analyst, Elise Collette. Elise, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So without further ado, we're pretty much going to jump straight into the action. It was a long weekend because it started on Thursday night, um, sort of more of the traditional opener. They've met a, a few times over the history of the AFL women's, but this time it was Carlton up against Collingwood. Uh, the Magpies went in as favourites, but at quarter time it was two goals apiece. Everyone had kicked pretty straight. Uh, but from that point on, after quarter time, Collingwood sort of took control. They booted 4-6 to 1-0 in the remaining three quarters to run out 18-point winners and effectively double Carlton's score. Uh, Elise, w- what did you sort of make of the result? Yeah, it was expected in the end because we all we all know how much how much stronger Collingwood are. But the fact that Carlton matched it matched it with the Pies for that first quarter was impressive as well. They just yeah couldn't quite keep it keep it at that level for four quarters. Yeah, absolutely. Like we look at some of the numbers, Carlton had their fair share. Uh, they won the hit out sixteen. Uh, obviously. Uh, not too many surprises there with Bree Moody uh, going up against ex-Blue Allison Downey, and, and the Pies were without Liv Barber um, for the match. So uh, it was mostly, uh, you know, in that scenario where Downey was going up and, and Frederick sort of given a chop out. Uh, Carlton won the clearances by one, uh, but then when Collingwood did win the ball on transition, that sort of famed defence was able to get it down the ground um, get it inside 50. They had 19 more inside 50s. And once it was in there, they had 16 more tackles inside 50. So, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty impressive. Carlton might have won it at the the middle. Uh, but then once Collingwood had possession, it, it was difficult for Carlton to get it back inside their forward 50. Yeah, and when you've got players like Stacey Livingston and Ruby Slasher to deal with, it, it was never going to be easy for Carlton to, to keep it in their forward line. No, certainly not. And uh, obviously, Schleiser was among the best on ground. Fantastic effort in um, playing through defence and midfield. Uh, <coughs> sorry. Um, and the other aspect was uh, a couple of debutants kicked goals. We'll speak to Imogen Evans after. Mia Austin hit the scoreboard as well, and we know that she kicked uh, the first goal of the game. And, and realistically, uh, the season with uh, she kicked one, and then Darcy Vessio also kicked one later. Uh, and it was also great uh, to see Jordan Membry come back and kick a goal. That was fantastic. Uh, but for me, the the big question mark was the fact that Collingwood lost the clearances but dominated the inside 50s. So it, it just showed that they kind of cut up Carlton on the rebound, but there is still room for improvement there uh, for Steve Simon's club because obviously they are, yeah, they did lose the, the clearances to a Carlton midfield that is realistically uh, a bit of a, a mixed... Uh, midfield compared to past seasons because they've obviously lost, you know, Chris Parkers out of there and whatnot. And um, Georgia G, of course, who who could roll through there. Uh, they, they've lost a fair bit of talent out of that Carlton midfield, Grace Egan, of course. Um, but uh, we know Collingwood are missing Bree Davey and Britt Benici for the season. But at, at the end of the day, Carlton did edge ahead in that. But the fact Collingwood had 19 more inside 50s shows that they were just very, very good uh, in able to move the ball forward. Uh, I mean, you you're at the game. What what do you sort of make of 
uh, the way that it was played and um, was there any surprises from either side or, or perhaps e- either positives or negatives uh, that sort of caught your eye that you weren't expecting? Um, in terms of surprises, I definitely have to say Sabrina in the ruck because I think I think she's better deeper in their forward line because we all know she's not that not that quick. So if she can be that strong strong marking target that can reliably kick goals, I think that's better for Collingwood than having her up further up the ground. Yes, they were missing Liv Barber. I'm not. 100% certain if Erica Fowler played. Um, so they were missing missing the, the backups for Al Downey. So I get why they played her. But going forward, I think, yeah, I think that's an experiment. They shouldn't continue. Yeah, it, it, it will be interesting to see what happens um, in terms of that ruck role and, and how much Liv Barber plays in the ruck and, and Frederick forward. Um the other key was the up the other end with Carlton. They only had the three marks inside 50, which was the equal lowest of the round. There are four teams that did that, but equal lowest. So just finding that tall target inside 50 is, is really crucial for them. Mia Austin took a fantastic one in that first quarter, but um, yeah, it, they just couldn't get the supply. And uh, obviously by you know, association, they couldn't get the marks in there where... Uh, Collingwood, they had the six, so it wasn't heaps, but they were still able to do it. But I think the six, uh, the 16, I should say, tackles inside 50 extra, uh, and you look at Eliza James and Chloe Malloy, six each, um, we know how damaging they can be with ball in hand, but the fact that they're laying uh, so many tackles uh, is a real, real positive for the Magpies going forward. Yeah, absolutely, and just shows how relentless they are at the ball and, and wanting to get the ball for their side. Certainly. So uh, pretty much coming out of that, the Pies have got away with an 18-point win. They needed to win that game uh, because if they're going to play finals, the Carlton are the kind of opponents you just have to beat. Uh, So congratulations to them. What we're going to do now is we'll cross to an interview with Imogen Evans, who Elise spoke to after Collingwood's win on Thursday night, discussing her path to the Magpies and how she found her debut game. So just firstly, how'd you find tonight? Debut? Very exciting. I'm stoked to be out there and I think just getting the win in the end is just the icing on the cake really. Were you nervous at all beforehand? I was surprisingly okay. I think most of my nervous energy was probably kind of in excitement. Trying to keep my head kind of calm and just not really think about it until I ran on. And kicked a very nice goal, well done. (laughs) Just a bit of um, icing on top there. Yeah, I love that. That was really nice and good to get the girls all around me and it really just hyped me up for the rest of the game really. Um, talk about your draft experience because it was a bit, bit of a unique situation. You didn't get picked up in your home state, came down to Victoria. Yeah. Was that all, always part of the plan that you were hoping to get picked up in state? Um, definitely not initially. I think I always had my, my initial plan was to stay at home and stay local, but I'm forever grateful for this experience and I'm really stoked that it happened how it did. Um, how have you found your time in the pie so far? It's been everything I could have ever imagined. The girls are so welcoming and they've made the transition moving away from home super easy and I've never felt alone or homesick or anything like that. Like I've missed my family obviously but they've just made the transition so seamless and I think that's a tribute to how I played tonight. Who at the Pies have you learned off? Has anyone taken you under their wing so far? I think all the girls have kind of given me a bit of everything 
definitely with the mids, like Brie has given me some super tips and the same with Britta, like just giving me some like physicality tips and getting myself in the game. But definitely all the girls like get around me and tell me like if I can do this, do that, which is really good. And just finally, goals for the season? I think just play the best footy I can and just put my best foot forward and to set myself up for a long and lasting career, hopefully. Amazing. That was Collingwood debutant Imogen Evans speaking to our very own Elise Collett after the side's victory over Carlton on Thursday night. From that huge clash to a blockbuster grand final replay, we'll get stuck into the Melbourne-Adelaide game, uh, which took place at Glenelg uh, after it was moved from Norwood. So um, I know Elise will be very happy to speak about this one, but uh, to start with, uh, Melbourne got away. Uh, They looked good early. Adelaide hit back... uh, hit the front even in the third term, but then the D's booted four goals to one from that point on to run out 18-point winners. Uh, so 6-8-44 to 4-2-26 to win the grand final rematch and continue the streak that the uh, reigning premiers haven't won the, uh, I guess, next grand final rematch between the sides, which uh, I guess in many ways I would have loved to have known before we did the tipping. But... Uh, yeah, Melbourne got away with a win, so take it away. What, what did you make of the game? I was really impressed with how Melbourne were able to to stand up to Adelaide's pressure, which in previous, at least the last two games, they haven't been able to. That was that was a real telling telling point for me. And another thing I wanted to point out was between Karen Paxman, Olivia Purcell, and Eliza West. They had 71 disposals, which is which is just insane, and they were ju- they were just relentless through that midfield. So, yeah, it was there. There were so many people saying, "I'll take a grand final win over a grand final rematch win or whatever," but th- that win means so much more to the Melbourne girls because they've Adelaide's kind of been their bogey side over the last couple of years, and the way that. The grand final happened, and way they were able to come out and give that kind of performance, I think that that win is going to be mean so much more than just it's a grand final road match and four points. Yeah, well, considering how well Adelaide have gone, uh, really since they began, I'd say it's fair to say they've been everyone's bogey side. Uh, so there hasn't been too many that have got the wood over Adelaide consistently. Uh, so yeah, it was definitely a good win, and already uh, Adelaide only lost the one game last year, so uh, they're already down a game just some key statistics which are, are pretty impressive uh Adelaide did have 18 more tackles but uh, and quite impressively I think four more inside 50s but what Melbourne did was they had 72 more disposals they had 73 more uncontested possessions 20 more marks and their disposal efficiency was 65.2 to Adelaide's 55.4 so effectively what Melbourne did was they were able to slow down the game a bit. They were able to win the ball. They were able to play keepings off with the Crows. and But when they did go forward, they were efficient. Adelaide had more inside 50s, but were only able to score one in five, where Melbourne were able to score one in two each time they went in. So it kind of tells you that when they do go inside 50, they can be incredibly damaging. Like, it's one of those things that I think uh, is really important in the modern game. Like, obviously, they've got to um, go in there. They've got to try and take marks. They took 10 of them, which was the equal second most for the round, uh, and, and against a quality defense. So, 
for me, uh, I think the fact that, that there's ways that Melbourne can say, hey, we can improve because Adelaide still beat us in the inside 50. So therefore, they still had more despite getting the win and having all these disposals. So perhaps we can go a little more direct. But in saying that, when we did go inside 50, we were so damaging that if if we do get inside 50 more, then, then that could spell trouble for a lot of other sides. Yeah, I was just having a look at these stats here. And the two that stand out to me are the disposal efficiency and the inside 50 count because Adelaide are a very good user user of the ball so the fact that Melbourne were almost 10% more efficient is is um is a testament to them also the inside 50s yeah Adelaide had four more but they had half the scoring shots Melbourne did so yeah as you were saying yeah if they um if they win the inside 50s if sorry if they lose losing the inside 50 count and still having double the number of scoring shots that's um that's an ominous sign to come yeah, no, for sure. Uh, yeah, it's quite imp- impressive because the other aspect of those inside 50s is the fact that Melbourne uh, only had the 29 entries, but they had 10 marks, which means 35% of the time it went inside 50, they were finding a target, which is crucial to, to, to scoring. And that is why they uh, were scoring at such a, a consistent rate when they did go inside 50, whereas Adelaide only marked four times from 33 entries. So that's the real crucial uh, aspect. Melbourne were able to mark and have set shots uh, and set up their play rather than Adelaide having to sort of uh, find more unconventional ways to score from general play uh, as, as a whole. So uh, I, I think it's not all doom and gloom for Adelaide. I think there are things you can sort of uh, work out and tighten up and things like that. They certainly weren't too bad. Um, I, ju- I just think in this case, it was definitely Melbourne being very, very good. Um, and Hatchard was superb for the Crows while we touch on that. But as you sort of, uh, mentioned off the top, Melbourne just had a few too many good players and, um, that's, that's the reality of it. And the other player to touch on is, uh, Chelsea Randall, who, uh, yeah, played a bit of a different role. Yeah. She, um, she was everywhere. I swear to God. But, um, yeah, all the talk off season was Aaron Phillips is gone. Aaron Phillips is gone. Chelsea Randall's still there and she can be one hell of a thorn in the side of any opposition. So... Yeah, her her versatility was really uh, was really impressive. Yeah, and the other player to mention, uh, Ash Woodland, kicked three goals for the Crows in the only multiple goal scorer. Uh, so a very Cora Staunton esque uh, kind of scoreline there with one player kicking them all. But she won the leading goal kicker last year, so she's going to continue. And off the top of my head, both her and uh, Cora will be leading the goal kicking to start off with, uh, yeah. just about. So. Three goals from from her game. That's a good effort. Uh, but Dees had the six individual goal kickers, which will be quite pleasing. Um, and again, like there, there's players that didn't do, like win a lot of the ball, but they were still able to play an influential role. Um, it, it was interesting to see they touched on Daisy Pierce almost playing a bit of a not tagging role, but more of a nullifying role on on the opposition defenders. Um, I know I know the coach sort of mentioned the fact that she was hoping to stop the intercepts uh, from the Adelaide defenders such as Sarah Allen and, and whatnot. So 
like from that perspective, it was interesting that they sort of played her in more of a defensive role because that was something that I think people were a bit surprised by saying, oh, she, she didn't seem to have like a huge impact. But then Mick Stenier sort of opened the curtain up, if you like, and sort of said, well, this was her role. She actually did really well because mm-hmm. the intercepts that they had were a lot less than what they did in the grand final, which yeah. of course allowed Melbourne to have more marks inside 50. Yeah, because like of Sarah Allen and even like your Randalls and Bedells as well are, are- – are excellent intercept markers. So the fact that the days was able able to nullify that, um, yeah, went a long way to being able to to mark so many times and then and score so many times. Yeah, uh, look, I think the, it was a great first up game from both teams. There's plenty to work on. Um, I think they'll still both be uh, well, obviously Melbourne will be, but I still think Adelaide will be right there yeah. at the pointy end of the season. They were Me very too. very good. Um, yeah, I, I think they'll uh, come up against, a, let's say, a weaker opponent in, in the coming weeks and, and look a lot better um, by comparison. So Yeah, uh, you, uh, you, that's the other thing to remember, particularly you, you Adelaide fans, is you may have lost, but you're playing, you're playing one of the top sides. So I don't, yeah, I don't think that's a true indication. I'm just having a look at the fixture to see who they've got this week. Oh, they've got... They've got Richmond. Yeah, they'll yeah. definitely bounce back this week. Yeah, they, they should get a win against the Tigers, you'd think, but we'll uh, we'll, we'll discuss that a bit later. <clears throat> um, so moving on to the next game of the round, which was not quite as close, and we, we spoke about sort of the contenders up against the, the lower sides. North Melbourne got the victory 6-4-40 over Gold Coast 2-2-14. Uh, realistically, they played three quarters. They dominated for the first three Kept Gold Coast to just one behind, and it, it was looking like the Suns were in real danger of uh, breaking the record that no one really wants of the lowest score. But to their credit, they kept it going to the final siren and kicked two goals, one to no score in the last quarter, which it's a combination of Gold Coast digging in and wanting to run out the game strongly. And obviously, naturally, if, you, if you're North Melbourne, you sort of know the game's in the bag and you, you do subconsciously maybe take the foot off a little bit. But um, look, the Roos dominated all the key stats and considering that Gold Coast would have won a lot of these in the last quarter, the fact that North still came out on top, um, they won the inside uh, plus 14 contested, they won the outside plus 17 uncontested, they had 25 more disposals, 19 more inside 50s, uh, and they did have a lot more clearances, but Gold Coast... Uh, yeah, did did quite a bit better in the last quarter, but overall it was a it was a pretty convincing win to the Roos, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Not too much of a surprise considering it's North versus Gold Coast, but credit credit to Gold Coast for digging in in that last quarter and um, avoiding the record, but also yeah, just digging in and not not um what's the word I'm looking for? Not giving up till the final siren. Yeah, I, I think it's just a case of, yeah, Gold Coast having to really work out what how they were able to, um, you know, go, go forward in transition because they did have the lowest amount of inside 50s for the round, which is 15. And considering that they kicked uh, the, the 2-1 in the final term, which you'd probably suggest they had the majority of those 15 in that last quarter, I think... Yeah, I, I think that's something they need to work on, be able to get more entries because you're not going to score if you don't get in there. So, um, yeah, and the and the other aspect is uh, the running bounces, which is, you know, it shows how much they take on the game. North Melbourne had uh, a round high eight, while Gold Coast didn't have any. So, um, 
you know, North really willing to take the game on. And, and we saw Jazz Garner um, was best on. She was fantastic. Um, huge game from her. Uh, Emma Carney as well. Both, both those players played their 50th game, so that was fantastic. Garner had the 27 touches, four marks, six clearances, and kicked a goal. And, and Carney, of course, playing off halfback, as we, we've come to know from last season, 18 touches and five marks, uh, just really good leaders and, and been able to contribute each and every week. Uh, while Alison Drennan and Charlie Robottom tried hard for the Gold Coast Suns. Uh, but unfortunately for them, couldn't quite get the chocolates. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see when both these teams come up against different opponents. I know North play Melbourne this round, so that'll be a, a, obviously a significant step up where Gold Coast will take on West Coast, which will be a significantly step down from North. Mm. So it'll be, I, I think we will find out more about this game uh, after round two based on, or, or more about these teams after round two. Yeah, and also, and the round one game was in Tassie as well. So mm. that, Although they've never played at Blunston before, there's... There's still a ta- the, the Tassie element to it. So, yeah, I'm intrigued to see how they both go this weekend. And, yeah, I definitely agree. I think this weekend is a better indication of where both sides are at as opposed to last weekend. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, we're, we're going to get that with all teams throughout the season. It's gonna um, You're going to work a bit more out as the games go on. Um, moving on to the next game across Saturday, uh, it was West Coast who... <laughs> Kicked 6 4 40, defeating Port Adelaide 4 4 28. So they won by the 12 points. Uh, it was a bit of a momentum swinging game. Uh, West Coast led throughout the first half. Port Adelaide took control in the third term, and then West Coast came home strong with four goals to nil in the last quarter to run over the top of them. Uh, very similar to the Adelaide Melbourne game in, in, in that sense. Uh, a bit of that sort of switch uh, in terms of who was in control, but. Um, full credit to West Coast. They won in front of home fans. They were very, very impressive. Uh, and, you know, despite Port Adelaide winning a lot of the key statistics, there are a couple of key uh, key players for the Eagles who had a fantastic uh, sort of role, uh, if you like, and, and, and really did a lot of damage. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly um, Ashley McCarthy, who was playing that bit of that tagging role on Aaron, Aaron Phillips and kept it, at, what, two touches to half time, which... Never easy, and yeah, always um, yeah, helps you <laughs> helps you beat whatever side um Aaron Phillips is is playing for. I just wanted to point out something that Lauren Arnell mentioned post game. Um, the Port gave away nine free kicks in that final term, which yeah, probably says a lot about how the game ultimately ended up. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, discipline and frustration are always a key. Uh, in, in games and, and they can certainly impact the result and I think perhaps they, they might have got a bit frustrated and frustration builds over time if, you, if you're not going that well and um, as you said like if McCarthy's shutting down Phillips taking out your key game play, like game maker if you like um, and then she went on to, to have the 18 disposals two marks eight tackles six clearances two inside 50s five score involvements and a goal which was absolutely ridiculous that goal but um, if, if we look at that She's not only kept uh, Phillips to two disposals, but uh, to halftime, we should say. Phillips did go on and have a bit of a more of an impact in the second half. But she did, uh, she ended up having her own impact um, offensively. So uh, clear best on ground, which was really important for West Coast. Um, yeah, and it's also worth mentioning too that Port, uh, Abby Dowrick, 
uh, was awarded one of the two Rising Star nominations. Had 21 disposals, seven marks, four tackles, six clearances and three inside 50s. Yeah, she was really impressive and, and gave Port a lot of run, particularly in that in the first half. Yeah, and, and Port, um, if we touch on the statistics, they had 12 more disposals, 17 more hitouts, 10 more marks, uh, 36 more tackles. Um, and West Coast only won the clearances by one, but they won the centre clearances by six. So they were quite influential uh, at, at the throw-ups, I guess, at the ball-ups. Uh, so that was... Uh, quite interesting to see. And they only had a couple more inside 50s. So for me, this game definitely could have gone either way. Like, I don't think you'd come away going, oh, well, West Coast are definitely finishing above Port or Port aren't as good as we perhaps thought they were. Like, I think Port had every chance to win. It was just West Coast was in front at the final siren. And obviously, as you mentioned before, like things such as free kicks or um, perhaps just little little moments uh, were, the, were the difference in this game and, and allowed West Coast to, to get the win ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. I I wouldn't be too too down if I was a Port supporter because they 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 were really impressive in that first half and they were they were in the game and yeah they just they couldn't quite couldn't quite have the lead at the um the final siren but it also it's their first game so yeah and just look at who they've got this week. Oh, they've got they've got the Bulldogs, so that'll be a little bit more of a challenge. But who's to say they they can't match it with the Bulldogs as well? And, and they're back at Alberton for that. Yeah, that so. that will that um will be very helpful for them. Uh, of course, the only expansion team to travel on the weekend, so uh, always tough when you're the first. You you kind of want your first game to be in Adelaide, but. Um, they they clearly wanted it to be at Albert and Oval, um, and unfortunately, because they were doing some renovations or redevelopments there, that it wasn't possible. Um, although it, it does seem a little bit uh, bit rough that it's ready for round two and not round one. Yeah, but, oh, that um, would suck. But yeah, that, they may not have known that when the fixture came out. Like at that point, they'd they'd put in the fixture. They knew it wasn't going to be available, but they are back there this weekend. But to as a whole, I think, yeah, both teams can take plenty out of it. We saw Ella Roberts play. We saw, uh, you know, Hannah Ewings play, two of the top players uh, from their respective teams and drafts. Uh, Roberts had the, the 10 touches and, and laid seven tackles. She's very good in that regard. Um, took a couple of good marks. And if you look at this, like Ewings, of course, had her moments too. That They're, they're all able to sort of have that influence. She kicked a couple of behind, so it could have been a little more accurate. But, yeah, the 10 touches and, and four tackles, so um, not too bad to booze there. Uh, and, of course, as we said, Port will get better with time. Um, but it was an important win for West Coast to, of course, uh, trying to sell hope to their fans coming off a wooden spoon. So uh, that's the West Coast Port Adelaide game done and dusted. We're going to move on to another expansion side in Sydney, they kicked 4-3-27, but it was not going to be enough to go down to St Kilda, 8-8-56, in a very similar kind of uh, situation, if you like, to the West Coast Port, where you've got a brand new team coming in against a team that really struggled last year. So I think it's uh, sort of a combination of trying to make the games as even as they can in round one, but still uh, those established sides being able to come away with the, with the wins and give themselves some confidence going forward. Uh, it was pretty competitive early, very similar to the Sydney Collingwood game where it was a goal apiece in the opening term. 
the you know it was hard to really pick a winner out of that and then St Kilda went and booted 7-6 to 3-2 after that to run away with a 29 point win uh, at a ground that coach uh, Nick Del Santo called Boutique in North Sydney just because of the shape of it. I was uh, going to say, is that a compliment or an insult? No, nah, I, I think I don't think he minded it. It was a very different kind of style. Um, I think it was a very sort of longer ground than they're used to, the way the fans were, were situated. And you know, there was a heavy Sydney presence there too because uh, certainly the crowd was uh, very one-sided towards Sydney, which is fantastic in, in the Swans' first game. Uh, but, I mean, we spoke about it last week. We said this was a must-win for St Kilda. There was no um, no ifs, buts, or maybes. They just had to win, and they did it. Uh, what do you think of the way that it went? Yeah, it, you're exactly right. It was It's the kind of game um, St Kilda needed to win. And, yeah, the, Sydney, yeah, Sydney matched it early, but, yeah, like Collingwood game, they weren't able to quite, uh, quite run it out. Um, Speaking of the Swans, there must have been a collective massive sigh of relief yesterday when the news broke that um, Montana Ham's knee injury wasn't an ACL because we mentioned pre-season if, um, if she goes down, that's, that um, creates quite an issue for the Swans. So hopefully hopefully for Sydney's sake, it's not, not a three to four week injury like they're reporting at the moment. But for the winners... Tiny White, uh, 17 touches, 11 of them, um, 11 contested, 14 tackles, which is seriously impressive. Uh, Georgia Patrikios, first game back, 18 touches. There's a reason why she was such a highly touted, touted junior and had such a good first season, second season, I can't remember when she was drafted. Um, so to have her her back is, is a massive, uh, massive plus for St Kilda. Yeah, absolutely. She she uh, was able to gain 271 metres as well. So was able to get a bit to that outside. Uh, disposal efficiency still um, got to sharpen up. It only went at 44%, but um, we know how skillful she is. Uh, it's just been a long time out for her. So fully expect her to uh, lift that as the season goes on and really be influential. But being able to see Patrikios and White in there, it gives the Saint fan plenty to like, especially with a number of midfielders heading to other clubs over the off-season. So, fantastic for them. For the Swans, Molly Eastman, 15 disposals, 8 intercepts, was very, very good. Monham, before she got injured, was impressive as well. So, um, they had their moments, Sydney. Uh, but, yeah, at the end of the day, St Kilda had 40 more disposals, 18 more uncontested possessions. And I think the thing that really stands out, aside from 11 more inside 50s, was the, the tackles. They had 27 more of them despite having 40 more disposals and 26 more tackles inside 50, which, um, I mean, obviously you can also argue that if the ball's not inside Sydney's forward line, you can't tackle. Um, but in saying that, they, they certainly were among the, the biggest tacklers in the league and, and 34 tackles inside 50 total for the... Uh, for the Saints uh, was a, a round high by a long, long way. So Collingwood had the next highest with 20. So they had 14 more than any other team. So when they got it in there, locked it in there. And look, there's promising signs. Uh, they were able to compete at ground level. And uh, I think if you're a Saint fan, you come away pretty happy. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's the kind of win you can just, you can build build a season on because hey, this is where we are round one. We've won. Let's see how much further we can go. 
for sure. So uh, that's halfway through the round now. So we're going to cross to another debutant in Hawthorne's Jazz Fleming, who spoke to Lise Collette following the Hawks' tight loss to the Bombers in round one. So just firstly, what was it like playing on Marvel? Yeah, it was pretty unreal. I think when we ran out um, to the song and went through the banner, um, yeah, looking around, um, I just tried to take it in. It was awesome and to have some um, younger girls with me, Charlotte Baskin, running through with her. We were just little kids, just, um, you know, we were just shocked at how many people were there. So it was a great experience. Amazing. Um, how have you found your time at Hawthorne so far? So enjoyable. I think these past, I think it's been eight weeks um, that I've been a part of the club and I don't think I've ever been as happy. Um, you know, just little things. I just, I love training. I love going to the club and it makes my work going to training. Um, they're long days, but um, the girls... Um, from the get-go got around all of us young ones and the coaches so to have an environment where like you want to rock up you want to train your hardest I think that's awesome and to have the girls um, supporting us um, it's really helped. That's amazing. Um, how have you found your, your experiences at Oakley have, have they helped you adapt to the top level at all? Yeah there's definitely um some things that have, I think, training intensity, um, you know, at Oakley, um, it was something that I talked to the coaches about and it was something that um, I tried to have a high standard of. And obviously at the AFLW level, it's much higher, but I think um, it's definitely helped. And then, um, you know, even the year before playing Oakley with some um, girls that got drafted in the end, like Rowie and... um, Amanda Ling, Stella Reed. Um, I think I saw how much um, they trained and then kind of got some pointers off then um, going into the draft and after the draft just about adjusting and all that. So I think they helped a lot too. That's awesome. Um, slightly obscure one. Um, what was the thinking? Well, I guess thinking is probably not quite the word I'm looking for, but um, behind your, your playing number choice because... I don't, I, is there a history behind you normally choosing number 10? Yeah, so my uncle um, did wear number 10 for Essendon. Um, so it was kind of that family history and obviously he wore it for a, a good amount of games. So I wore it this year um, just because it was available for Oakley. I asked for it and I got it and then at Vic Metro I got it. Um, but yeah, I think to have the opportunity to wear the number five or Hawthorne is probably the greatest honour other than probably captaining and all of that um in the male game it's got so much history behind it with Peter Crimmins and all the people that have um worn it after him um you know Daniel Harford Sam Mitchell they're some of the greatest players for the club and they what they stand for is pretty special so um I'm stoked to be wearing number five and I um you know to make it my own I think um, I have my own number now, and to be a part of that history is pretty cool. Awesome. And just finally, how have you found juggling school and everything that's come with being a Hawthorne AFLW player? 
Yeah, um, I think the support from the AFL and um, Hawks and the school has been really good. Um, you know, just depending on weeks, I get to kind of my loads change, but um, it's definitely different um, being at school and, you know, being an AFLW player, but um, I'm really enjoying it at the moment. It allows me to have time off from school. When I go to training, I switch off, and then when I'm at school, I'm just focusing on the schoolwork and not trying to stress about, um, you know, footy or anything. Awesome. You're listening to Game Sense, and that was Hawthorne debutante Jazz Fleming speaking to Elise Collette following her first game in the brown and gold. We're going to now discuss that match, uh, historic match, both teams playing their first games uh, in the women's club history. Uh, Essendon did come away with the, the victory, 7-11-53 to Hawthorne, 4-3-27. Though Hawthorne did give them the, a scare. They got within a kick uh, in that third term, but then, uh, yeah, Essendon ran off uh, kicking the only three goals of the final term to just push out the margin to 26 points, very similar to what they did against Port in the practice match. Uh, we both thought Essendon were going to win this and, and probably win it reasonably comfortably, but um, in the end, it was probably closer than what the scoreline suggested, considering that the Hawks did get within a, a kick at that stage. Yeah, definitely. If I had to award a surprise packet of the round, it'd definitely be to the Hawks because they matched it with the Bombers for three quarters and then, yeah, they they didn't quite bring the pressure in the last quarter and um, and Essendon were able to, to run away with it. But if you look at where Hawthorne were in that practice match against Richmond and where they were against the Bombers on the weekend, yes, it's two very different opponents, but also two very different Hawthorns. They, they, their ball movement was a lot better. Their... The way that they brought it inside 50 was a lot better. So, yeah, I think although they didn't didn't get the win, there was definitely a lot of positives to take out of the game for, for Beck Goddard and her team. Well, I know um, from that practice match you mentioned that the uh, Hawks really struggled to get it inside 50. So a feather in their cap is, um, aside from Adelaide, they had the most inside 50s of, of the losers. So... Therefore, that that's a real positive step to, to take forward. Um, again, we have we've got those question marks over Essendon's defence, so um, I, I don't think it's going to be um, huge uh, sort of steps in terms of I think Hawthorne will review it and look to go forward again um, and and try and build on. I know they've got St Kilda this week, so that'll be a really big step, especially if St Kilda can maintain the uh, the tackling pressure as we just mentioned before the break. Um, what they were capable of doing against Sydney. Um, but for me, I mean, you look at the key stats. Essendon wanted to run the ball. They had 24 more handballs, 16 more contested possessions, and 10 more uncontested possessions. They took nine more marks inside 50. They had 12 in total, the most of any side in the competition this week. Uh, and they also had more inside 50 efficiency. So they were able to score uh, off more than half, 55.6%, of their inside 50s, where Hawthorne, they, they got it inside 50, um, but again, it's just that uh, sort of link-up play, sort of only scored off just under a third, so 31%. Uh, like, it's one of those things that I think will come with time, but uh, yeah, they, they've still got to work on that. They've, they sort of had the equal lowest three marks inside 50, which isn't too surprising, we weren't expecting it. But um, yeah, like we saw both sides being able to compete, um, 
And yeah, I, I think there are a lot of good stories to come out of this game. Yeah. Um, speaking speaking of stories, I do want to touch on on Hawthorne's first goal and the fact that it was Sophie Locke. You could, you could say it was a nice story that it was Jess Bushner that kicked the Bombers' first goal, but particularly for Sophie Locke, who it is much talked about that she's had an absolutely crazy couple of weeks with losing her mum to cancer and then the whole debut. And yeah, the fact that they were able to, that she was, she is their first goal kicker is just very, very, um, very poetic. And her celebration post goal, you could tell how much it meant to her. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a great storyline and, um, yeah, there couldn't have been anyone more fitting. Um, uh, others who kicked goals, Zoe Barbacos kicked two, Bonnie Toogood kicked two, uh, and Paige Scott won the Rising Star nomination, uh, along with Dowrick, as we mentioned earlier. 16 disposals, four marks, three tackles, uh, and, and critically, she had 274 metres gained and had 75% disposal efficiency. So um, that's really impressive for her because she knows how to win it and, and be fierce, but the fact that she was able to use it pretty well is, is credit to her. Um but there were none more better than Maddie Presparkas, who 26 disposals, four marks, six clearances, 406 metres gained, um, 14 contested possessions at 57.7% efficiency, five intercepts and five inside 50s. She just did the did everything, really. She, she got back to her absolute best playing for her childhood team and just willed Essendon across the line in the end. Yeah. Yeah, she was insane. And you could tell... You could tell how excited she was to be to finally be in Essendon colours, as much as much as it put several daggers in in every Carlton fan across the country. But yeah, you can she she was just stellar, and yeah, if she keeps playing like that, it's yeah gonna gonna be um, scary prospect for any opposition that have to come up against the Bombers this season. Absolutely. So that's a win to the Bombers in their first uh, ever AFLW game. Uh, while not too bad for the Hawks, they can take plenty out of it. And yeah, there was plenty to come from it, as we mentioned, with Sophie Locke's magnificent goal. So uh, we'll move on to the next game, uh, which starts the Sunday action. Western Bulldogs and GWS Giants. Now, uh, a couple of weeks back, the Giants pipped the Bulldogs by a point. But this time it was the Doggies who got up. 6-5-41 uh, to 5-4-34. Uh, it was another neck-and-neck neck game uh, that really saw the Dogs just hold on. The Giants kept attacking. They kept doing it. Uh, and it really wasn't until uh, Rocky Cranston kicked a great dribbler in the final term that gave the Bulldogs a 13-point uh, lead in the end. Uh, and even though the Giants could hit back with uh, Cora Staunton's third goal, uh, it would not be enough. They fell seven points short. Uh it was probably about as even as we thought it was going to be. We, we both sort of said last week that this could have gone either way, and, and that's the way that it kind of went. Um, and, yeah, the Bulldogs come away with the, the win at their, well, home away from home this season at uh, Icon Park. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was a fascinating clash, and I yeah I remember seeing it thinking, I have no idea which way this is going to go, and that was for most of last quarter. So, yeah, as much... Much as GWS fans would be frustrated with the fact that they weren't able to pick the Bulldogs, there was a lot lot of positives to take out of the game. I could see what they were trying to do with their new game style and I could see it 
see it if they put um if they're able to to pull it off 100% of the time it's um quite an impressive game plan and for the bulldogs as much as we were talking earlier about um momentum building um building wins it's definitely one for the bulldogs cuz they've set they've gone okay this is where we're starting to win this is a good benchmark let's keep going let's see how far we can we can go this season yeah, um, they're definitely always a wild card in the pack. Even even last year when, you know, they, they didn't... They said after, like Nathan Burke said after the game, that they're much better than what they were last season. I think that that's uh, something they really want to strive on this year to um, make finals. That That is being better. They want to make finals. And I think they've got the cattle to do it. I think they, they're able to... Um, they've got the, that playing group that's good enough to do it. They're a bit inexperienced. Not sure they're going to trouble the, the the real challenges when there's uh you know premierships or finals wins on the line but i do think that they're potentially in that finals mix and could well get there um they did go with a heavy kick first sort of mentality they had 26 more kicks while the giants had 36 more handballs so there was definitely that um contrasting style but the bulldogs in the end 17 more inside 50s uh and 11 more tackles inside 50 they had the second most inside 50s with 38 um, and they had the most contested marks, 11, despite missing, um, you know, Bonnie Toogood. We know Huntington was going to be out anyway, but Bonnie, Bonnie Toogood, no Huntington, um, no Lachlan to an extent, even though not quite the same, but still good mark. Um, and they found it in, in uh, Celine Moody and Gabby Newton, who both kicked a couple of goals and, and became their new key forwards, realistically. So they, they're able to find that answer within within a game. So uh, that was quite exciting for Dogs fans. Yeah, absolutely. It was so much talk off-season about, oh, no, they've lost, they've lost Bonnie, they've lost Dizzy, they've lost Brooke. How, what are they going to do? How, in in uh, walks back in Gabby Newton kicks two goals, creates a strong marking presence. She was absolutely stellar on, on Sunday. So, yeah, the fact that they've found the solution to their problem in game one as opposed to any later in the season is a huge positive for the Bulldogs. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the other Bulldog uh, to touch on, which, uh, I mean, if we're doing that, it'll happen every week, Ellie Blackburn... <laughs> Um, just simply enormous. 21 disposals, four marks, seven tackles, uh, seven clearances, five inside 50s, 388 metres gained. Um, look, she's already an elite player in the competition, but she's just keeps going. And, and again, uh, similar to Prasparkas, it was just one of those games in a close game. She just willed her team to win. Uh, and, and what a superb performance uh, she was able to put out. Yeah. Ellie having another Ellie game. That's... Not much more to, to say at this point. She she is so crucial to the Bulldogs and, yeah, so crucial to stop for everyone else. Yep. And just touching on the Giants before we move on, uh, Elise Parker, again, like, she was just fantastic. Clearly the, the standout for them. Uh, and up forward, the, the, it's still not um, quite able to work out that potency. Like, we, we've got it. We know how good Cora Staunton is kicked another three goals, but it's still the same question marks. Um, she's not going to be around forever, even though it's seeming like she might be at this point. But, um, yeah, another three goals from nine touches. And it would worry me, the GWS forward line, if she's not out there, because they only kicked a couple other goals through Parker and Doyle and um, whatnot. But 
Yeah, without Staunton, it looks a little bare. So I think they need to find a couple. Georgia Garnett is a good example. Was able to take seven marks from 12 touches. So she's someone who can be that target. But at the end of the day, um, yeah, it, it's sort of the core of Staunton forward line, really. Yeah, I remember sitting there the first quarter. And I the first note I wrote was, stop leaving Cora Staunton alone without any help, you silly giants. So, yeah, she... I'm. I'm just in awe of Cora Staunton just quietly, but um, yeah, they they cannot afford to leave her alone without any help because it's just not going to end well. Absolutely. So we're going to move on from that game onto a game that I think I was the most shocked by because not not necessarily the result, but the manner of which the result occurred. Uh, the Brisbane Lions, 11-10-76, defeated Fremantle, 4-3-27. Now, we know it was at the uh, Gab, we know it was up north, so it was at their home ground. We knew, look, they're probably going to win. Um, they, they had the better squad on paper. Fremantle were missing quite a few. They're missing the Antonios. They're gonna, they, they lost Houghton over the offseason. Um, they had quite a few injuries going through that side. But even so... Uh, yeah, look, this. there's no other way to put it. It was an old-fashioned shellacking. Brisbane had 75 more disposals, 57 uncontested possessions, like more, uh, 21 more marks, 28 inside 50s. And despite all that, they laid more tackles uh, inside 50 uh, and overall 12 more tackles. How a team has 75 more disposals yet lays 12 more tackles I, I, just, I just do not see how that's possible. Um, they kicked 10 goals to three after quarter time to run out 49-point winners. And, yeah, look, um, Trent Cooper is a fantastic coach. I love what he's doing. But he, he'd be behind closed doors. I think he'd be pretty pretty upset at this. Yeah, and I don't bloody blame him if he is because far out. Those, those figures are insane. Like, we know Brisbane are a good side, but far out. Yeah, it's some of those numbers. If if you win that much of the ball, there is you have no right to win the tackle count. I mean, it's fantastic for Craig Stasevich, who, to be honest, I think he was sort of playing a bit coy in the the post match press conference, saying, "Yeah, look, we were a bit scratchy. You know, the midfield didn't do this. Um, you know, they were okay, type thing. They can kind of improve." Well, the top four bit ball winners, Ali Anderson, Ola O'Dwyer, Emily Bates, and Isabel Dawes combined for 80 disposals, 19 tackles, 15 clearances, 18 inside 50s, and they all disposed of the ball at above 70%, which is elite. Um, Meanwhile, the two prime movers for Fremantle, Kiara Bowers tried hard but only went at 35.3% and only laid five tackles, which, I mean, for Kiara Bowers is a a low day. We know that, but... That's the equivalent of laying one tackle for anyone else. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, look, she still cracked in, had a had a real go, um, but wasn't able to get it, her side really into the contest. And the skillful Haley Miller only had the fifty three point three percent disposal efficiency because she had to go and win it at the coalface. So she had to win twelve of her touches were contested compared to four uncontested. So she had to play a lot more of a contested role. Um, wasn't able to have that freedom where she can really dominate on the outside. Of course, they lost Steph Kane, who's that player that. Even if Miller went inside, then at least they've got the ball to get out to Kane. She's no longer there. Uh, and O'Dwyer, who might well be Kane's opponent, just ran rampant. And the Dockers were young. They were definitely young. Um, we know that they're going to be more of a long-term side. But even still, I thought they were going to be 
more competitive than what we saw in this game. Yeah, absolutely. I think I probably thought Brisbane were going to win to a comfortable degree, but not, what's that, 49 yeah. points. <laughs> yeah, far out. Watch out. Watch out for Brisbane. You can, can't under, um, underrate them anymore. No, I don't, I don't think uh, anyone could. So, um, yeah, you look at this. They had multiple goal kickers. Greta Bodie, uh, Courtney Hodder and Ola O'Dwyer and Jesse Wardlaw all kicked uh, two apiece. Uh, and, and then they had other ones that chipped in. Uh, you had Smith, Conway and Fark as well. They all kicked one. Um, and they had so much control on the game. When Postlethwaite went out, they decided they'd just put... Uh, uh, Dakota Davidson back in defence just to trial stuff. So they're playing a, a finals contender and just trialling people in other positions, such is their dominance. So, um, yeah, that that's a scary-looking team. And I think along with Melbourne and North, um, they were the most impressive team of the weekend, uh, certainly what they are able to do to Fremantle. Because Fremantle, I think, they're far better than what they did on that weekend. And... I mean, if you lose the disposals, you can kind of go, okay, well, as long as we won the tackles. But when you're losing the tackles as well, yeah, it, it's not good. And 49.7% disposal efficiency, yeah, it's it's not good. Um, Fremantle will be wanting to come out, fire in the belly at home this weekend. And I dare say that they're going to really come up with a big, big response. Yeah, absolutely. And when you've got your tackle queen only tackling five times and with a disposal efficiency that low. Yeah, that's that's going to be um a stinger for for Freo. Uh who who have they, they got at home? Got this Geelong week? this week. Oh, uh, yeah, at, at home. So Yeah, watch out Geelong. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't want to uh wouldn't want to be Geelong this round. Uh Fremantle are going to be pretty angry. So, I think they're going to come out and have a really good bounce back result. But, uh, yeah, that's going to be a toss-up of really addressing it and going what went wrong and wanting to quickly put it behind them and just go, all right, let's start again. So uh, moving on to the final game of the round. And this game uh, probably wasn't quite reaching the heights of the other games, it's fair to say. Uh, In terms of the finish, it was fantastic. But how it got there, uh, it was a very contested Dow game. High volume of turnovers. Uh, The teams had the the topmost turnovers of uh, any team in the comps uh, this round. Uh, it was really just some Georgie Prasparkas magic in the final minute that saw the Cats uh, get home. A uh, bit of controversy there. She was able to kick the winning goal off a free kick from a sling tackle, and uh, they paid downfield, which, um, you know, whether you agree with that or not, um, it's one one way or another, but the downfield free then would have gone to Chloe Shear, but instead uh, Prasparkas somehow took it. Uh, and then nailed the goal. So uh, Geelong got the win, 2-3-15 to 1-5-11. But uh, yeah, it, it was hard work for both the players and I guess fans because teams had a lot of inside 50s. They just couldn't uh, convert them. Yeah, and it didn't help that both sides went with the strategy of dropping their wingers back in, in defence. So that um, always made it hard. But yeah, credit to Geelong. They... they <laughs> Played, played to the whistle as, as um, every footballer gets told. And, yeah, they were able to, um, to pull it pull the win out. And um, although, although Richmond didn't get the win, someone who really impressed me was Eilish Sheeran, who was, was playing off halfback, created a lot of run, 
finished with what 17 intercepts which is insane um and was was really playing like someone who was had been wanting this opportunity for a long time and was making the most of it yeah no she's someone who i think will be tightly watched over the season to come and would not be surprised if uh, teams begin to put certain players on her. Obviously, it's not going to be as defensive as it is uh, as that game was, um, but uh, it's still uh, worth keeping an eye on her. Obviously, if we look at some of the key statistics, Geelong had 32 more disposals, uh, 29 more kicks, uh, 31 more uncontested possessions and 13 more marks. They also laid more tackles. So again, they're laying more tackles, winning more disposals. They just played better overall. Um, they ran at a disposal efficiency of 67.1, which was around high, but that kind of disgust, uh, overlooks the fact there were 70 turnovers. So what that means is if you kick it beyond 40 metres, that's an effective disposal. So what it shows is they were kicking it long, um, but then Richmond were intercepting and marking. And it's the same deal for, for Richmond too. They had the 64 turnovers. So having those extra numbers behind the ball, uh, the players marking, intercepting, and it was basically played between the arcs. So um, a couple of the high uh, ball winners, Amy McDonald, Nina Morrison were huge, 24 touches each combining for nine marks, 14 tackles and 10 clearances and 13 intercepts. Uh, overall, I think, look, Geelong fans will be happy to come away with a win, but I think it's one of those games where every, every team's experienced it. I think they'll just go, we'll take the four points and uh, less said the better. Yep, I have no more no more else to add to that. That's um, You're exactly right. All right, so that concludes our look at round one. Uh, now we're going to head to an interview with Western Bulldogs debutant Riley Wilcox after her side's win over the GWS Giants before we come back and dive into our round two predictions. So just firstly, how'd you find that debut on Icon Park? Yeah. <laughs> Um, it was very, it was surreal. Like the atmosphere was amazing. Um, it was so good to get out with all the girls. Like they've worked so hard um, to get to where we are today. Um, and yeah, no, it was such a great experience to be out there against bigger bodies and smaller. Um, but yeah, no, it was great. How did it compare to last time you were out here? Um, last time I was out here, I was actually playing for VFLW. Um, but yeah, no, it was much more physical. Like the intensity is really high. Um, oh, do I keep no, oh, sorry. sorry. The intensity was so high and it's like it's hard to keep up with it, but um, hopefully I can go and smooth into it um, as the season goes on. How did your experience at the Knights help with your transition to AFL? Definitely um, playing that wing position. Um, I played the wing position for literally the whole NAB League season, although I did play only five games due to injury. But um, just knowing that position, um, it's quite difficult. And I think during night, like, I learned that position quite well so then I can play in the AFLW. So, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, Christy, how did you find pre-season? Um, it was short, I must say. Like, I kind of got drafted and then on the Wednesday and went straight to the club on Saturday. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's really high intensity. The running the running kills me. Um, but yeah, no, it's I really enjoy the intensity and just like the, the level of skills um, it brings. So yeah. Um, who's helped you out at the club so far? Has anyone taken you under their wing? Um, I must say the, the leadership groups are like 
um, Katie Lee and Jelly Blackburn, all those girls, and just everyone basically, just getting getting around us um, young girls, youngies. Um, but yeah, no, literally couldn't pinpoint anyone. But um, yeah, no, they've been all great. And just finally, are you going to play more wing or forward? I think I might stay on the wing. Um, depends what Berkey wants to do. Um, but yeah, wouldn't mind having a rotation into the forward line. But look, I love the wing. Like I've. Yeah, I've understood the position quite well, I feel like. So, yeah, wouldn't be surprised if I stay on the wing. Cool. You're listening to Game Sense, and that was Western Bulldogs Riley Wilcox speaking to Elise Collette following the Doggies' victory over the GWS Giants at Icon Park on Sunday. We're going to now take a look at round two. Uh, we've got another big nine-game fixture. Bit of a lopsided round because of the AFL men's finals happening. Uh, we do know... The AFL Mems finals happening Thursday night, Friday night, and on Saturday, uh, which is why there's no Thursday night game. Uh, there's a Friday evening game, if you like, and then three on the Saturday, uh, and then five on the Sunday for some uh, clear air there that runs all the way from 11.10 in the morning right through till the night. Uh, basically, you can catch all those games. There's, there will be a little bit of a overlap there, but... Um, five games on the Sunday, plenty of action for people to see. We will start on the Friday, however, in what realistically, looking down quickly, should be the game of the round. Uh, Melbourne up against North Melbourne. They're playing at the G, 5pm. It's the curtain raiser to the Melbourne-Sydney finals match. Uh, I know both coaches are very excited about it. Um, they get to run out. Uh, hopefully it'll be a big crowd and, uh, yeah, be able to see both those uh, contenders out on the uh, on the G. Yeah, and I I implore particularly you Melbourne fans to get down the yes if if you work on a Friday it's not the most convenient convenient start time, but if you're heading to the men's final anyway, get there early, get to go watch this cracker of a game. And I think we were talking earlier about um, North um, finding out where where they really sit um, for this season, and I think I definitely think we'll find that out on Friday night. Um, they've never they've never played on the G before, so it'll be interesting to see how they go there as well. No, no, I think uh, I agree. I think two of the three most impressive teams from round one. Are, I, look, I know which way you're going to go. I'm going to go the same. I'm going to go with Melbourne um, over North. I think it will be close. I think North will have done their homework on Melbourne in the first round. Um, I don't think they're going it, to – it's going to be hard work, but I, I, I'll tip Melbourne. I reckon it might even be single digits. I think it's going to be a very, very close yeah. game. Yep. Yeah, I would not be surprised if um, it's a single figure, figure margin. And, and to be fair, it's also a very – it's a danger game for Melbourne because yeah. there won't be many teams you can say that could knock off Melbourne, but I, I think North are one of those. So yeah. um, The Ds have had a lot of – they beat, beat North last year, but – yeah, they've had they've had issues with North in the past, so yeah. There's, there's always a bit of spice in this game too. Yeah, yeah. Because um, there's been some close ones, and I, I know North uh, fans aren't particularly keen to head out to Casey Fields. Um, They'll be doub- doubly glad that it's not there, or that it's here, um, that it's at the G instead. No, absolutely not. But um, yeah, uh, it's going to be an exciting game. So we're both going Melbourne for that one. We'll move on to Saturday, Richmond versus Adelaide at Punt Road, eleven forty a.m. Uh, Tigers are coming off that sort of low-scoring loss to Geelong. Adelaide obviously coming off the loss to Melbourne. What are you sort of expecting from this game? 
Yeah, I think both sides would be frustrated with, with how they went round one, but Adelaide are a much, much stronger side than than Richmond. So I think yeah, I think they should easily easily get the Charlotte's in this one. Yeah, I, I agree. Um both these sides had quite a few turnovers in the first round, so I think they'll be wanting to improve on that. Um but for me I think Adelaide just have to really um sort of control the game a bit more, um, not allow too many easy possessions. And I think Richmond won't mind that. They're, they're going to crack in and, and have a go on the inside. I, I just don't think they're going to have the depth to do it. I think Adelaide, if they can get their hands on the ball and get inside 50, are going to be a bit too strong. Um, and, and, you know, they'll be, they'll be angry that they lost that first round, especially against um, a, another quality side. And, you know, it's a short season. Every loss in the AFL women's counts for so much because realistically there's probably three or four teams that can can beat each other and and they lost that one so they're, they're going to want to bounce back and I think they will they'll probably win by at least a few goals though um we know that the crowd will be pro Richmond at Punt Road so um hopefully they can put up a fight but yeah definitely Adelaide for me yeah um same I've got yeah Adelaide I think they'll be too strong absolutely so we will move on to the other Adelaide team who uh, playing at their home venue for the first time at Alberton Oval. Port Adelaide hosts the Western Bulldogs at 1.40pm. We know the Bulldogs don't have too much fear travelling to South Australia. They knocked off the Crows here last year. Uh, they're coming off a, a good win over the Giants, while the Port Power are obviously coming off the loss to West Coast. Um, but they are in it. Uh, for me, I think this is a really close game, particularly based on where it is situated. I think that makes a huge difference. And uh yeah what way are you sort of leaning in this game very similar to you actually yeah i've been been um tossing up which which way to tip for a good few minutes here just uh they were both both pretty impressive in in round one although port didn't get the win but they um yeah even if i i can't see this being a big margin at all i just like Friday night, I won't be surprised if this is single figure as well. I think, I think the experience of the Bulldogs should mean that they get the win, but at the same time, I won't be surprised if it's Port that get the win. Yeah, I agree. I think I'll go with the Dogs too, but not by much. I think it's going to be a close one. Uh, and if Port are close in the last few minutes, I think that they'll have a real shot at with the crowd getting them over the line. So. Uh, the other Saturday game, the last one for that day, uh, is also at one forty. Uh, well, in terms of like the the local time to the Eastern Standard, obviously a few hours later um, for the Dockers. So, uh, Dockers are playing Geelong at Fremantle over now. We did just speak about Fremantle. Uh, obviously, the disappointing loss to Brisbane. They'll be wanting to bounce back. Geelong got over the line against Richmond. Uh, this could there could be a lot in this I think uh, a lot riding on this game. Um, Geelong will have confidence after the win over Richmond and seeing the way that Fremantle performed. But honestly, and this is a, a compliment to Fremantle, I can't see them playing that badly again. So, um, especially yeah. when, when they're playing a, a side that's nowhere near at the at Brisbane's level. No, Br- Brisbane is uh, creme de la creme at the moment. Geelong are improving, um, but yeah, I, I think Fremantle will win. And I think they'll win reasonably well. Not not by tons, but I think they'll win reasonably well. I think they're going to have a very good start to the game because I would not be surprised if they came out and 
laid some pretty big tackles in the opening moment just to emphasize that they're they're up for it this game so yeah Fremantle for me yeah I'm tipping Freo as well I can't I can't see um history repeating itself in that in that sense and it is at Fremantle level as well um and yeah that's a bit of a fortress for the Dockers so yeah and Geelong although they got the win it wasn't the most convincing performance in the world. So, yeah, I think, yeah, Frio fairly comfortably for me. Absolutely, yeah. Um, moving on to Sunday. Uh, interesting one. Essendon versus Carlton at ETU Stadium. Uh, interesting this one's going to be played at Port when uh, you'd think this one could well have had more than the Essendon Hawthorne potentially with crowd. Mm. But um, Essendon versus Carlton, 11.10 a.m. Uh, down at Port Melbourne. Very interesting contest. Carlton came off the loss to Collingwood. Essendon coming off the win against Hawthorne. Pretty similar margins um, by their comparative results. Uh, I think this is probably one of the closest games of the round. Uh, Which way do you sort of lean towards? Yeah, this is a a very interesting one. But I just want to touch on the whole whole crowd thing quickly. That's a challenge to you, Essendon and Carlton fans, to do what the Bombers and Hawks fans did before round one and... um, buy enough tickets to ensure that the game gets moved. But this on the game, yeah, it's a really, really interesting one because Essendon really put the foot down in the last quarter against Hawthorne. And Carlton, yeah, I just... I This feels like a very even game. As which, which way it'll go? I know I, I tipped... Bulldogs because of the experience, but I think I think I've got to go Essendon because they were that much more impressive in round one than Carlton were. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm gonna have the point of difference here. Um, I think Carlton will get the job done. I think that the difference between Collingwood and Hawthorne is pretty stark, as well as Hawthorne had improved. Um, I think Carlton too. The other factor you've got to keep in mind is uh, the Matty Presparkus and the Georgia G factor. I think they're gonna want to. Oh, get, yeah. get over the line and win that. Um, yeah. So I'm going to go with Carlton in that game. Um, can I just, I just want to point out as well, it's at North Port Oval, which is a bit of a unique ground. And as a fair chunk of Essendon's list has come off their VFL W list, who obviously won the flag at, at North Port. And I don't know how many of Carlton's players have ever played at North Port. I don't know how much of a factor that'll be, but I just yeah wanted to put that in there. Yeah, no, it could be a factor. I think also the fact that Essendon were the best team in the league by a fair way, you probably could have played yeah. out at a local country ground and they probably still would have won. So, um, But I do agree, like, it's a bit of a different uh, ground there. So interesting times. We've at least got one that's different. I don't think the next one will be different, but we'll, we'll go ahead anyway. Collingwood versus Sydney, Vic Park, 110. The Pies coming off the win over Carlton. Swans, competitive early against the Saints, fell away. How do you sort of see this one going? Yeah, a building game for the Swans, but the four points are, are staying at Vic Park. Collingwood for me. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I think Collingwood had 19 more inside 50s against Carlton. They were one of the more efficient teams, sort of or one of the teams going forward. Sydney had the least inside 50s, uh, or, or one of the least, I should say, Gold Coast had the least. Um, Sydney, uh, or I should say efficiency, really. Um with that 25.9%, they did have 27 inside 50s. Uh, but for me, if, if Collingwood have 19 more inside 50s than, than Sydney, uh, I, I think it's going to be pretty one-sided. I think yeah. they're going to 
especially at Vic Park, home crowd. Um, no Monham for the Swans, you'd presume. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I, she's out three to four weeks. Yeah, I, I just I can't see this being um, a real. Uh, I can't see it being a tight ballot. Maybe for a quarter or so, but I think Collingwood, knowing that they need percentage to try and catch some of the better teams, um, and and how important it is now. You've got double chances and things like that in the finals. Yeah, I think Colling. This will be the game that Collingwood puts their foot down and go. Nah, we're we're winning this by a fair bit. They they ran out five goal winners over Sydney, and that was minus uh, a number of quality yeah, players. So Lambert can. Yeah, they were missing Downey as well, yeah. Um, so, obviously, Lambert and, and Downey came back and can was named, but I, I expect she'll be back. Um, Sarah Rowe still got to come back into that side too. Not sure when, but she yeah, should I be back soon. Yeah, her reason she missed round one was suspension, so mm. she should be back this week. That's true, yeah, yeah. Um, so, she should be uh, coming back in. And, look, I think as they'll be close to as full strength as they can be, minus the obvious ones that are out. Um, yeah, I, I think Collingwood will win and probably win comfortably. Yeah, a few, um, few lessons for the Swans, I think. Yeah, and, and if Sydney win, then that's fantastic for their confidence. I just can't see it happening at yeah. Big Park. Uh, the next Sunday game, GWS Giants versus Brisbane at Marnica Oval at 3.10. Uh, and for the Giants' sake, uh, glad it's in Canberra, not in Brisbane, based <laughs> on what we saw last round. Yep, that, that is a fair point to make. I think, yeah, I think... GWS should take confidence from the way they performed in round one, but Brisbane are just another step up from the Bulldogs. So I think, yeah, despite the travel factor, I think Brisbane should be too strong. I, I, if Brisbane play like they do the way in round one, there are very few teams that could beat them. So yeah. I, I think they're one of those teams that uh, when they're up and about, they're so hard to stop. They're so well-balanced. Um, and they can decide games off their own game plan. They're they're obviously the less experienced teams who can play as well as they want, but the other team can play better. I think if Brisbane plays as, as well as it can play, that the majority of the teams won't get near them, um, and I do think they're going to win and, and win pretty well here. Um, the Giants will give them a fair crack. like They'll, they'll crack in and have a go uh, contested ball. They'll give them a bit more resistance um, although we, we thought, you know, with, with Fremantle, that's what would happen. So who knows? Um, but yeah, Brisbane for me, and I think they'll win pretty comfortably, particularly with their defence quite clearly being able to, um, you know, they can afford to double-team Cora Staunton and, and force GWS to um, find other options. So I think they're going to win uh, and win pretty well. Yep, that's fair summary. Uh, the last two games, uh, I feel like these two games, similar to the Essen Carlton, are probably... Pretty close uh, in terms of who, which way they're going to go. Hawthorne uh, will host their first official game, um, if you like, their first one at home at Box Hill. They're taking on the Saints at 4.10. The Hawks coming off that, uh, I guess, narrow in the end loss to Essendon. They did get close. Obviously, Essendon got away with the 26-point win in the end, but um, they're coming up hosting the Saints. The Saints had a good win over Sydney. yeah, do you think the Saints can go to zip or do you think the Hawks showed enough in round one that they can uh, topple them? I think for the sake of St Kilda and the season, they have to go two and zip. But I have a, I feel like for Hawthorne, it's going to be a similar game to what they had in round one. They, they'll, they'll push St Kilda, no, no doubt about that. But the question is, can they keep that, that relentless pressure up for four quarters? I 
I don't know if they can just yet. So I'm, I'm going to tip St Kilda, but I don't think, I don't think it'll be more than say maybe a couple of goals. Yeah, uh, I think that it's going to be a pretty tight contest. If Saints can bring the the same heat they did last week, you know they were the highest pressure team in terms of their tackling, tackling inside fifty. Um, they're going to get a lot of looks. Uh, Hawthorne will probably get some more looks too against Saints, but. Um, yeah, just that trying to link up and, and making uh, making good on their inside 50s is going to be the challenge for Hawthorne. Uh, smaller ground at Box Hill compared to Marvel, so that, that might make it a little bit easier. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think the Saints will get the job done here. Uh, moving on to the last game of the round. It's Gold Coast up against West Coast at Metricon Stadium, 5.10 p.m., uh, yeah, the Gold Coast uh, went down in that disappointing loss to North Melbourne. Did show a bit of fight in that last quarter, so might carry on with it. Uh, West Coast, they got the job done against Port. They also showed fight in that last quarter to come from behind and, and run over the top of them. So they're both coming off good, uh, you know, 20-minute patches in that sort of uh, final terms there. So what do you sort of make of it? Um, how do you sort of... Uh, Come into this game, which way do you reckon it's going to go and, and who can carry on that form? Yeah, this is a tricky one because talking earlier about North and about where they really sit, I think both these sides, this will be a good test of where they really sit. In terms of who I'm tipping, I, I am, this is the trickiest of the lot of them, I think. I think Gold Coast are a lot better at home, which is going to be a huge factor as well. But West Coast are going to take the momentum that they they've built with that first first up win and it, it's hard to tip as well because because north is so much better than than gold coast are and help and how much better they are than west coast and port and clubs like that so i don't think we got a true indication of where gold coast are at the moment but i have to put a tip in so i'm gonna tip i'm gonna tip gold coast because it's at home all right, uh, I will go the opposite. I'll go West Coast because I'll back them in um, based on their round one performance. I do agree. I think it'll be a bit different game at Metricon uh, than what the respective teams had at their away and home venues respectively. But uh, I think the Eagles midfield will be a bit too strong. Gold Coast is still trying to find their mix in there. And um, only 15 inside 50s for the Suns really concerns me if they're going to try and kick a winning score. Uh, that pretty much wraps us up for another episode of Game Sense. So I've been your host, Peter Williams, and first I'd like to thank women's football analyst Elise Collette for joining me today. Thank you for having me. And we'll be back next week to review round two of the AFL Women's and have more interviews ahead of round three. Make sure you're following us on social media at Rookie Me Central on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favourite platform. Thanks for listening to Game Sense today, and we hope you'll tune in next week.